Good evening. The scripture reading will be Genesis chapter 39. If you'll turn there with me, we'll begin in verse 7. Genesis 39, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house, uh, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her, her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by the, his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he had heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she, um, then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. You may be seated. Well, I'm certainly happy to be with you this evening. I'm very grateful for your presence tonight. Thank you, Nat, for reading our scripture for us out of Genesis chapter 39. And we want to, as you can see by the graphic in front of us, talk about the great life of the man Joseph. You and I have studied about Joseph before, and there are a lot of great lessons we can learn from the life of Joseph. We were talking this morning uh, primarily focusing about our young people and how important it is for them to remain faithful to God and not to fall away from the Word of God and not to turn away from Christ. We want to follow that up this evening with another lesson closely akin to that to look at the life of this great man of God in the pages of the Old Testament. If I were to ask you to say the contrast or to think the contrast of the words that I'm about to give you, what opposites would you think in your mind? The first word, out. You probably think of in. Or if I were to say up, you'd probably think down. If I were to say black, you'd be thinking white. If I were to say run from, you'd probably think run to. Hold on, you'd probably think let go. Found in chapter Genesis 39 are those contrasts. This particular individual wanted uh, Joseph to be guilty of sin. And so, instead of running to, he fled. He ran away from. Instead of holding on to, he let go. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 tells us a lot about Christian living. And one great verse in that chapter, Romans 12, is abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 21 and 22, 
Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every appearance of evil. And so the Bible is giving us some very sure and clear descriptions with regard to what our conduct ought to be like. So in Genesis chapter 39, beginning at about verse 7, here was a man who would abhor the evil, and he would say no to that, and he would cleave to the good. He held on to what was good, and he would abstain from every appearance of evil. So what we have tonight is a wonderful example of a man named Joseph. And it would be good for you and good for me to constantly keep this individual in our thinking and in our thought processes. As the very things that Joseph had to face, the Bible teaches and warns us in our life. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you have a New Testament passage there, and the sixth chapter is a, a very interesting passage of God's Word and one that helps us a great deal. But he tells us in about uh, verse 18 that uh, we're to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is uh, sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then here's another passage you might want to take note. It's found for us in 2 Timothy chapter 2. The easy passage to remember, really. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. And here this passage says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And again, that passage is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. Now, here is a young man by the name of Joseph that's doing that very thing. He's fleeing evil. He abhors it. He'll have nothing to do with it. And he cleaves to that which is good. Now, keep in mind that Joseph at about this time is some 30 years of age. And uh, he would spend some two years in the prison. So at the age of 28, at the time that this incident took place, back in Genesis 39, we see him doing just exactly what God had instructed us to do, both in the pages of the Old Testament and the New, to flee that which is evil, abhor that, and cleave or hold on to that which is good. And as we study tonight, I hope that you'll take a moment and consider your own heart and your own mind and ask yourself the question, what would I have done if I had been in the situation Joseph was in? What would I, my attitude have been? Would I have been the kind of person that would abhor the evil? Would I have been the kind of person that would flee the evil? I just read a passage where Paul said, Now flee youthful lusts as a young individual. Uh, probably doesn't have the maturity of years, doesn't have the wisdom that years bring about. But yet he has the understanding, I cannot do this terrible thing. I've got to flee. And so he does, and actually flees and leaves his coat. Let's go back to Genesis 39. And as we look at some of these verses, and I'll pick a few out, and thank you, Nat, for reading them for us, and ask ourselves the question, what would I have done in a situation like that? What would my attitude have been? As a young person, you look at this passage, and you consider the life of Joseph and the example that he gives you. Notice in verse 8, but he did what? He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything that he has in my charge. See, Joseph realized that he's been given the responsibility, a type of stewardship of everything that Potiphar had. 
Now he had been sold by uh, to uh, Ishmaelite, uh, an Ishmaelite caravan. These Midianites had brought him down to Egypt, and he was purchased as a slave. And now he's been placed in Potiphar's house. But Potiphar was a pretty astute person because he saw that everything Joseph did was successful and that God was with Joseph. And it's not long before Potiphar has Joseph in charge of the entire house. And so when the temptation comes along or when the invitation from Potiphar's wife comes along that we read about tonight, he refused it. Now notice also in verse 9, He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Well, look what he's saying there. He said, he's put everything in my charge. How can I betray him? Uh, See, he's not going to hearken to the invitation of this wicked, lewd woman and her advances. He refused, verse 8. Verse 10, he makes it clear. And as she spoke to Joseph day by day... He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. He refused. He he said, verse 8, he refused it. In verse 10, he wasn't listening to her, even though the advances would come toward him day by day. Notice verse 12. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled and got out of the house. Now, isn't that exactly what uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, verse 22? Flee youthful lusts. And I see this man of righteousness doing that very same thing. In verse 15, notice the wording of the passage. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Notice verse 18. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he he left his garment beside me and he fled out of the house. So it's made reference to the running, the fleeing away a number of times in the passages of the Bible and this passage that we're studying for the present. He was a righteous man, and he's doing the very thing that the Holy Spirit's instructing us to do today from the pages of the New Testament. Now, this particular matter of immorality and this particular matter of a wicked heart, licentious mind, comes up every day, doesn't it? You can't open up the sports page without finding advertisement and invitation to be exposed to drinking alcoholic beverages which a Christian should not be drinking. And you cannot turn on the television without the suggestion of this particular matter. And if the program is allowed to go on, then this wickedness will be performed right in your own living room by way of the television set, whether it be the broadcast of this program or that program. These wicked acts have been popularized perhaps more so than in any other generation. Well, how do you deal with such a thing as that? We look at Joseph and the life of Joseph. And young people struggle with this. They look at this on television. They see a a number of their friends and their neighbors involved in such wickedness and in such sin. What are we to do? And what are young people to guide their lives by? Notice as he said in verse 9, How could I commit this great wickedness? How could I, Joseph said, commit this sin? So tonight, with a proper introduction of the thought ahead of us here, let's look at two points that I want to develop that will be positive, proactive steps by which it will help us overcome sin and temptation. The temptation may come our way, but we'll be better armed to say no to these particular matters. No to the sin. No to the temptation. 
No, I'm not going to involve myself in that. I'm going to do what the Bible says, abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. I'm going to flee youthful lusts. My lesson is a very simple one. How did he do it? He knew sin would hurt him and hurt others. And I want to spend maybe ten minutes talking about that important point. But then I also want to talk about another important point. He knew God was watching. And armed with these two truths, we can see in the life of David or Joseph how he could do this. How could Joseph be so strong? How could Joseph overcome this temptation? How could he do what the New Testament is telling me to do? Flee youthful lusts. Abhor that which is evil. First of all, let's notice this first point. He knew sin would hurt himself and hurt others. If you turn with me to this particular matter, you see back in our text tonight, Genesis chapter 39, the Potiphar was a very generous individual with Joseph. He says in verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. Why here, as I mentioned a moment ago, the matter was given very clearly. Everything he touched was successful because God was with him. And Joseph is saying, now look what Potiphar's done. He's given everything in my charge. I'm responsible for it all. And verse 9, he describes it as a very great wickedness. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And notice how he describes it in that fashion. It is a great wickedness. Now some translators want to translate that wickedness in verse 9 as injury. Whether you translate that special word there, wickedness, or injury, and I think wickedness probably gets at it more specifically, he knew that somebody's going to be hurt by this. If you want to look at it from the standpoint of injury, who is it going to injure? Well, Joseph knew that it was going to hurt Potiphar. Potiphar. Potiphar has been such a fair man to me. Joseph is saying, Potiphar has been such a generous man to me. Why, he doesn't even know what all he has. He's put everything under my control. He's given me responsibility of everything. He has an entire house. Give me everything but you, and you're his wife. How can I commit this great injury or this great wickedness, knowing that I have responsibility for everything that the man has. Now, you see, Joseph went from the favorite pet of his father into the miserable pit of his brothers. And he had a great deal of love for them and love for his family, but they in turn traded him off as a possession, and now he comes to a position. He was a possession of Midianite traders, sold as a slave, and now he is in a position of responsibility in Potiphar's house. He has a great responsibility. Yet how can I commit this great injury? If I do this, to, if I do this thing, it's going to cause hurt. It's going to cause injury. I'm saying that what helped this man abhor that which is evil and to cleave with that which is good is that he understood what sin does. He could see that sin was going to hurt. He, was, he could see he was going to hurt his master. It was going to hurt him. It was going to hurt her. It's when we understand the true nature of sin and what it does, the consequences of it, 
it helps us say no to the problem of temptation. Now turn with me to a New Testament passage as I try to develop this thought, how Joseph could do this and be so successful, to Romans chapter 5. Now this fifth chapter of the book of Romans I think is a great chapter of the Bible and it really needs to be thought through. And I'll not be able to spend much time with that tonight. But in Romans chapter 5, we see something of the consequences of sin. And isn't it wonderful that we've got the New Testament that tells us and reveals this for us? Romans chapter 5 and 12. Joseph didn't have the benefit of this. But I've got the benefit of Romans. i got the benefit of Hebrews. i got the benefit of these great New Testament passages inspired of God to help me make the right decision. All I need to do is avail myself of it, read it and study it and put it in my heart and then act upon it properly. Well, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, there the Apostle Paul talks about the effect of Adam's sin. And in this passage he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He's saying there's a terrible consequence to sin. Now let me spend a moment out of Romans chapter 5 and 12 specifically. What he's referring to is the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam is picked out as being representative of the first human pair, though they're both complicit in the crime, the sin. And there God planted a garden in eastward into Eden. And in the midst of that garden, he said, Now don't eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And you know what happened? Satan came and tempted and beguiled Eve, and she gave to her husband, and he ate of the forbidden fruit. They were both guilty. And what do we inherit from their sin? We inherit the consequences. Now, Calvin would come along, and you and I have studied Calvinism and Wednesday night discussions together. And Calvinism would come along and make the mistake of saying that we inherit the guilt of Adam and Eve's sin. But that's simply not the case. Adam and Eve passed along to us consequences for their sin. And that's his point. The consequences of sin. The reason I'm talking about this is because I believe Joseph understood something about this. He knew that sin would hurt. That would be the consequences. And that helped him say no to this woman's invitation. I'm in Romans 5, in the verse of verse 12. You can read this from the pages of your own Bible. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, the one man is Adam, and death through sin, those are the consequences. And so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Well, what did Adam do? Now, the tempter comes to Eve, and he says, Now take of, the, take of this fruit. And she looked at it, and it was good to look upon. And she wanted to be wise, and so she took the fruit and she gave to her husband. Well, where was that? Adam was standing right there. I believe Adam and Eve knew exactly what they were doing. Adam and Eve were guilty of open rebellion before God. Adam should have said to his wife, no, don't do that. We're not going to do that. Take a leadership role as the head of that family and say, no, we're not going to follow this serpent who's trying to beguile us, who's tempting us to rebel against God. But yet he was weak, weak in faith. And weak and not willing to do what God had said. And in an open act of rebellion, he takes of that forbidden fruit. And sin works its way into this world. And for that reason, you and I face the consequences of that sin. Sin has consequences. Now I'm saying if we can see that. 
if we can get that in our mind and remember that in our heart, it'll help us say no to the invitation to do wicked wickedness. It'll help us say no to the temptation that comes our way. And I'm saying, how in the world was Joseph able to do this? How was Joseph day after day able to say no to her and her wicked advances? He knew something of this. He knew that sin hurts. It's, it's an injury. It's an injury to him. It's an injury to her. It's an injury to Potiphar. People are going to get hurt by this. No, I'm not going to do it. A number of years ago, I read an article in uh, Reader's Digest. I hadn't read Reader's Digest in years, but I used to read it all the time. I like the fact you have these little stories, and I could get through that story right quickly. And I used to read Reader's Digest all the time. don't even know if they publish it anymore. On September the 12th, 1964, a man by the name of William Turner stepped into a bar. Been busy working that day. And he decided that he'd take a few drinks, which is very common for people to do in this drinking society. And uh, he decided, told the bartender, give me one more for the road. And he took the drink with him. Now, as he's driving the car, he notices himself a little shaky. He doesn't have the kind of quick reflexes that he normally would have because he'd been drinking. Well, there's a... I think it was about a five-year, oh, he's about fifth-grade-year-old, fifth-grade boy. His name's Randall. Randall's riding his bike out on the side of the street that night. And it wasn't real late, but Randall, fifth-grade boy, is riding his bike, and, and then William Tanner comes busting around the corner there, and he hits and kills Randall. And it was a terrible thing simply because he didn't have the quick reflexes that he normally would have because he was drinking. Police found William Turner in his attic, wrapping himself around his bottle, trying to overcome what he had done. You see, Randall, the boy that was killed, was William Turner's own son, and he'd killed his son because of the consequences of drink. Drink Drugs and sex is killing our society. How can I warn myself against it? How can I say no to this temptation that's foist upon us by every venue in our culture? I can say no when I realize sin's going to hurt. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the people you're involved with. It's going to destroy your soul, and you'll lose your soul in the bowels of a devil's hell if we continue to engage in sin and fail to learn the lesson. Sin hurts. Joseph, you see, was saying in Genesis chapter 39, how can I do this great wickedness? Now, if you want to translate that injury, fine. How can I do this great injury? It wasn't just an injury that he was being called upon to commit. It was a great injury. He's given me everything he has in my control. How can I do this great wickedness, great injury? He understood something of the consequences of sin. Sin's the reason why we die in this life. Has anyone been affected by death in this auditorium tonight? 
If I were to ask you to raise your hand, every hand would go up because there's been a death in every family. And there'll be a death. And there'll be your death one day and there'll be my death. And the reason there's death is not God's fault. It's Satan's fault and man's fault for all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God. And we have inherited the consequences, not the guilt, the consequences of Adam's sin. Romans 5 and 12. If we could get that lesson down, it would help us understand and help us say no to the temptation when it comes our way. But I said that there was a second point that I'd like to discuss with you tonight, and I better get to it because my time is ebbing away. God was watching, and God would not be pleased. I believe that Joseph had a very clear understanding of this particular matter, that God watches over these things, and God knows. And we can try to hide from mother, and we can try to hide from father. And as a young person, we think we can get by with this, and we think we can get by with that. But really, we can't get by with anything with regard to God, because God knows. Let's take a casual trip to the pages of the Old Testament, and let's look for a minute at the old law and how God considered these particular matters. Now, I know it's Old Testament passage, but still it tells us something of God's attitude toward these matters. Now, I want you to brace yourself a little bit. The Bible's very plain, and we need to be just as plain as our preaching and teaching of it as the Bible is plain. I'm in Leviticus chapter 20, and the Bible's talking about certain sexual sins there, and it is very specific and very graphic. And he's telling the children of Israel, do not be a part of these particular matters. Now, even though you and I do not live under the old law, we live under the new law. And you and I have studied that important matter, and we learn about it from the book of Galatians, and we learn about it from 2 Corinthians, and any number of Bible passages that talk about my responsibility to the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, the New Testament. But still, this reflects the attitude that God has toward the matter, and I'd like to know that. These things do not please God. I'm in Leviticus chapter 20 and the verse is verse 10. I'm going to read a little along here. I'm going to skip some because of time's sake. But certainly the matter will be obvious. In Leviticus 20 and 10 in the old law, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be what? Put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, He's uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood's upon them. Notice how God views it. Their blood's upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them are committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Uh, if a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. Uh, if a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill that woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, this goes on and on. Verse 17, if a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall 
bear his iniquity. Let me go on to about verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes. I'm in Leviticus chapter 20. And rules, and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. Now, I don't know if you're seeing what I'm seeing here, but I'm seeing a, a very wicked type of lifestyle as it is being described under the old law, and God's attitude about it. God uses terms like, they'll be put to death, verse 10. It's a perversion, verse 12. It's an abomination, verse 13. It is depravity, verse 14. They shall be put to death, verse 15. It is a disgrace, verse 17. It is iniquity, verse 17. God is telling us in no uncertain terms what his attitude is about these disgraceful sins. You know, Joseph was saying, how could I do this great wickedness? Well, one way, one reason he could not do this great wickedness because he knew God was watching and that God was displeased with this particular matter. Now, the law of Moses came later. The law of Moses came after Joseph. Joseph didn't have the law of Moses. But I've got the law of Moses, this old law, to learn from, to help me see what God's attitude about the matter is. But even Joseph, living before the law, understood something of God's attitude toward these sins. Joseph called this sin, and Joseph says no to the sin. And I'm scratching my head, and I'm wondering, I said, how is it that he could do that? Because he knew God was watching him, and he knew something of God's attitude about the sin. It is a perversion. It is depravity. It is disgraceful why their blood should be required of them. Now, again, I make the point, and I, I, I hasten to do that. That point being, we don't live under the Old Testament law tonight. We live under the New Testament law. And these punishments which are described under the old law was for them. It's not for us. But the attitude whereby I read these particular terms, it's very clear. God will have absolutely nothing to do with these particular sins. Joseph said no to sin. And maybe I should make a point about that sin, that word. It means miss the mark. And uh, the word sin is a very interesting word, and there are different words in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, for it. But basically, a good way to remember what the word sin means is that it is a missing of the mark. Now, I read an interesting statement in Judges chapter 20, and I won't take the time to go there. But those men of war, they could take a sling with their left hand, and they could hit a rabbit uh, right on the mark, the Bible says. They were men of war and well-trained with the implements of war, the sling. They could take their left hand, they could take their right hand, they could use that sling and hit the mark. Well, that's the word that I'm trying to deal with. I'm trying to understand the fact that when I get, I'm guilty of sin, I've missed the mark. I have missed God's plan, God's purpose, God's will for my life, and I have transgressed or gone beyond, missed his divine will. Now, there are consequences for that, and I think Joseph understood it. In Galatians chapter 6, the law that I am under tonight, the New Testament law, he makes it very clear. Now, do not be deceived, verse 7. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. 
For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now I've read for you Galatians chapter 6 and the verses verse 7 and 8. And in this particular passage he's making very clear. Your sins will find you out. That's an Old Testament statement. Numbers 32 and 23. You can be sure the consequences of sin is going to find you out. And God is not going to be pleased in this particular matter. The boys were told to, to sow the peas in the garden. And so like boys do sometimes, they didn't want to work. And so they took a few peas and sowed them here and sowed them there. They planted one over yonder and over there. The rest of them, they just dug a big hole and poured all the rest of them in the hole. They went back to the mother and told them, well, we planted the, seed, the peas in, in uh, the garden. Well, when the peas began to come up, behold, their sins had found them out. She realized that all the peas got sown in the hole, whereas just a little spotty here and a little spotty there, the peas came up in the garden. That's the way sin does us. Your sin's going to find you out. Young people, mark it down in your book. Your sins are going to find you out. You're not going to be able to fool God. God's watching. God was watching Joseph. God is watching me. God is watching you. Now, when I get my arms around that and I get my head around that concept, God is watching me. It's going to help me say no to the temptation. When the temptation comes my way, I'm going to have a better and easier way of saying, no, I'm not going that way because I know one thing. I know God's watching and God's not pleased with that. He says in the old law, it's a perversion. He says in the old law, it's a shame. It's an old, in the old law, it's a disgrace. And his attitude toward the sin has not changed. And my sin's going to find me out. So I'm going to say no to these particular matters. Joseph is found for us in the book of Psalms. In Psalms 105, you have an interesting historical record of this young man. It's found for us, verse 17 and 18. I thought I'd read it for you tonight because it helps me understand this important point. He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Joseph went ahead of the other brothers so as to preserve that family. God was with him, and God was watching him, and God was caring for him, even though a collar was put on his neck, and even though fetters were put on his feet, still God was in charge, and he providentially was bringing Joseph to a land whereby he would preserve life and preserve his family, bringing about God's divine plan. Now, this is going to help me tonight, and I don't know how many times I should say it. The old adage they used to tell us when I was in school, it says, tell them that you're going to tell it, tell them, and then tell them that you told them. And so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm in that part where I'm telling you I've told you. And I'm going to try to remember this myself, because if anybody out here needs this point, it's me, and you need this point. And as a young person, I'm considerate of you because you're facing these particular trials and tribulations and invitations to commit sin every single day. This will help you. Sin will destroy you. It will destroy you. Your sins will find you out. It will hurt you. 
God is watching, and He knows my sin. He knows what kind of life that I'm living, and therefore I've got to be extra careful to do only that which God wants me to do so that I can be pleasing in His sight. I believe that's why Joseph was successful. Now, you and I have studied the life of Joseph on other occasions, and those have been good studies too. But I think this really zeroes in on the great secret of Joseph's life. You know, there's not a bad thing said in the Bible about Joseph. Now, I know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But not one bad thing is ever said about Joseph. I suppose Joseph um, was guilty of different things just like everybody else was. I'm sure Joseph's life was not a perfect life. He was guilty of sin as well. But not one bad thing's ever mentioned about Joseph. Maybe Joseph, when he was young, was an arrogant type of guy. Maybe he tried to lord it over his brothers. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. But maybe because of the dreams which he had, and his brothers became resentful of the dreams. Maybe he had the wrong attitude toward his brothers. Maybe he had the wrong attitude toward his father. Maybe that was part of Joseph's problem. But the text really doesn't say that about him. But Joseph was a person who was very successful in living a godly, righteous life. And the reason that he was so successful is because he knew what sin would do, and he knew God was watching. You and I need that lesson tonight. As you go from this place tonight and we go throughout our everyday walk of life, let's remember these two points. Sin will destroy us, and God is watching. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do it tonight, to repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus Christ. To be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins as the Bible teaches. God's divine plan is still the same. It's the same gospel that was preached on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The same gospel that was preached to the household of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. It's the same gospel we ask you to obey tonight. Nothing added to it, nothing taken away from it, without fear, without favor. It is the gospel for us all. Will you not obey it now? Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.